happens when I call. Oh, I get my victory when I call. Hallelujah. I call on you, Jesus. Hallelujah. The King of kings, the Lord of lords, the all-powerful. Hallelujah. Oh, yes. Hallelujah. If you're in this place today, amen, and you have a need, you shouldn't leave with that need today. Amen. There is something that happens when you call on the name of Jesus. And the devil will do whatever he can to keep your mouth shut and keep you silent. Make you think it's a bunch of fanaticism. Amen. Amen. The hardest things, uh, when, when you start coming to Jesus and you start turning your life over to him, one of the hardest things that you have to get used to is you've got to speak everything with your mouth. You can't just think it with your head. You've got to speak it with your mouth. Amen. And, and the Bible says, with the mouth, confession is made unto salvation. Now, some people think that's just, you know, saying a little uh, prayer that you repeat after the, the preacher. That's not, that's not what the Bible's talking about. It's saying with your mouth, you can be delivered. With your mouth, you can be saved. That's why it's important what you say. The Bible says death and life are in the power of the tongue. You better speak the name of Jesus. You've got to call on his name. Amen. When you need healing, you call on his name. When you need salvation, you call on his name. If you need deliverance today, you just call on the name of Jesus. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Amen. I'm so thankful that we can call on his name. Amen. I'm thankful for the freedom that has been bought and paid for. Not just by our military men and women, but also by Jesus Christ. Amen. We've got the power. Amen. In the name of Jesus. And we can call on him. Amen. Man, a few weeks ago, most of you know we had Brother Abernathy here. Uh, he's one of my bosses anyways in global missions. But he had such, we had such trouble. He couldn't find a sleep apnea. He's got sleep apnea. He couldn't find a, he forgot his breathing machine. He forgot his uh, CPAP. And I called all Friday night. We called. Josh called Saturday. We couldn't get a CPAP machine for. You know what they were saying? Well, we can't do anything unless you have a prescription. And, and we're actually we're actually closed for the weekend, so we really can't help you. And I'm like, man, this dude can't breathe. He's not going to be able to sleep. What are we going to do? <laughs> and then I then I remembered we can call on that name. He's never closed. He doesn't have business. Out. Come on, somebody. It doesn't matter, what you, doesn't matter what you face. You can call on the name of Jesus. Anytime, day or night, you can call on that name. Amen. I'd like to welcome all of our guests that are with us today. Thank you. I know this is a holiday weekend, and I am so thankful that you are with us. I realize there are several that are traveling today, and uh, we want them to be safe. But I also would like to say hello to everyone watching online. I know that many of you check us out online before you come to service. That's true, right, Diana? Yeah, sometimes you watch us a couple years before you actually get here. But soon, we hope to see you in person, and we want you to come join us sometime when you can. But thanks for watching us online. Last week, we started a series, and I want to continue on with that today. Uh, we talked about gravity. How many of you remember that? All right, good. Only three or four of you, but that's fine. 
Gravity is not only a good idea, but it is a law of God. And so today we want to focus on the gravity of God's love. You may be seated. This week I read over some things about gravity. I was, I'm, I'm, I'm just fascinated by gravity. Uh, some of you can't stand gravity. I understand. You know, you get on the scales and gravity is not your friend. I get it. However, I, I hope to enlighten you a little bit today uh, because I read some, some cool rules of air and gravity this week. And this is what I found. Here's the rules of the air. Are you ready? Number one, every takeoff is optional. Every landing is mandatory. And try to keep the number of landings you make equal to the number of takeoffs. Yeah, that just... Here's the second rule of the air. If you push the stick forward, the house gets bigger. If you pull the stick back, it gets smaller. That is, unless you keep pulling the stick back, then they get bigger. Tough crowd today. Here's the third rule of the air. It's always better to be down here wishing you were up there than to be up there wishing you were down here. Some of you, you can definitely relate to that. Number four is when in doubt, hold on to your altitude. No one has ever collided with the sky. Number five rule of the air is the probability of survival is inversely proportional to the angle of arrival. You want me to say that one again? Some of you are like, whoa, wait a second. The probability of survival is inversely proportional to the angle of arrival. Number six is stay out of the clouds. The silver lining might be another airplane going in the opposite direction. <laughs> Number seven is good judgment comes from experience. Unfortunately, experience usually comes from bad judgment. Anybody know what I'm talking about? And number eight, rule of the air, and this is the last one. A good landing is one from which you can walk away. A great landing is one after which they can use the plane again. So anybody ever had a great landing and you were thankful for it? I have had, I had one or two flights in my life where I thanked the pilot on my way out. I said, thank you. Thank you so much. I am, I am so thankful that you knew how to get this plane on the ground. Anybody ever felt that way when you flew? Amen. Sister Gisela, she hugs them all, but uh, she's like, thank you so much. I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. I read an interesting quote today, uh, or the other day actually, by Timothy Keller, uh, who said, if God wiped out all sources of evil in the world, then we would no longer be here. The evil is inside of us. The Bible is clear that we are not naturally good. We are naturally evil. As a matter of fact, if you look at Jeremiah 17, 9, and 10, it tells us that the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately sick. Who can understand it? The word desperately sick means incurable. That is, without any ability to heal its own evil. Here in Jeremiah, we have a very emphatic denial of the popular belief that people are basically good. Anybody ever heard that? Well, people are basically good. Sometimes people do bad things, but, but they're basically good. Well, notice the words of David in Psalm 51.5. Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity, and in sin did my mother conceive me. Job echoes this in Job 14 and 4. Who can bring a clean thing out of an unclean? There is not one. 
The harsh reality is that we are not inherently good, but we are inherently evil. So even if we have greater laws or lesser laws, that alone is not going to solve the problem. Ever since there have been laws to break, we've been breaking them. I think we should advocate things for the things that we believe in. I believe that we should seek justice. However, we need to keep our eyes on the real problem. Are you with me? In our cries for justice, we need to remember that God chooses to give us mercy and grace instead of justice. If God gave us justice instead of mercy, he would have already wiped us out. He chose not to give you what you, to, what you deserve, but he chose to take that upon himself instead. The real problem, which humbling as it is, can be found inside of each one of us. Since sin entered the picture, ever since Adam and Eve broke the first law that God gave, we have been a species obsessed with breaking the law. Every war, every crime, every evil thing can be traced back to the sin which underlines all sins, and that is self-exaltation. Everything which is evil from Adam to our day, from the great horrors of the world history down to the little lies and the acts of unfriendliness which we have mutually poisoned our lives, springs from human hate of God's grace. Now, some of you, you're like, whoa, I, I, I don't know. I don't think anybody could hate God's grace. To live in God's grace means to trust him as Savior and King. It means rather than thinking, I know what is best for me, I trust that God knows what is best for me. The problem is that all of us were born in sin. And, and really, it's all that we've ever known. We were born in this, with this innate desire to be our own Lord and Master. God even gave us his perfect law as a means to continually point us to his providential grace and our need for that grace. God's law reveals to us that our need for something inside of ourselves that can save us from ourselves. It's easy to point the finger at athletes, you know, these professional athletes who have cheated the system by using enhancement drugs. We had a discussion about that, some of us guys, this week. But, but are we not somewhat to blame? I mean, think about it. We want our athletes to perform at the top of their abilities, and if they don't, then we abandon them. We've made altars to ourselves and to our earthly demigods. We think we know the solution to the problem, that if we find the right law, our monitoring system, or we can monitor what they're doing, that we can solve the cheating problem. But can I tell you something? The cheating problem is in us. We forget that people are not inherently good, but evil. G.K. Chesterton, uh, he was a, a minister and he, in London. He was asked by a London newspaper to join authors and thinkers to address the weighty and important question of what's wrong with the world. So he simply sent this response, and this was his response. He said, Dear sirs, I am, period. Sincerely yours, G.K. Chesterton. So what's the solution? Should we fight for justice? Yes. Should we advocate for the truth? Yes. But we have to see that the solution isn't found ultimately in a philosophy. 
It isn't found in stricter monitoring or a human right, but in a person. Jesus Christ is the only person who was born inherently good and remained inherently good. He is the only one who's ever lived like you and I in human skin and not sinned. He had perfect freedom and yet chose to be subjected to our human laws, which are a joke in comparison to his laws. He was lynched and killed by our courts so that one day we could enter the courts of heaven. So the next time you cry for justice, remember Jesus cried for our forgiveness from the cross. He chose to take our place so that he could give you and I grace. Everything good comes from God. Christian ethics has to do with man who is wholly lost, wholly rescued, and therefore claimed as a whole man. And if everything good comes from God, and we are not inherently good but evil, contrary to contemporary thinking, that we should not be surprised when people lie. We shouldn't be surprised when people cheat, steal, and they proceed to try to cover it up. It is what sin has been doing with the children of God ever since the fall. We are all inherently bad. If you don't know what I'm doing, the preacher has to first create the problem. You have to see that there is a problem before we can move any further. So that's where we are right now. I'm showing you what the problem is. We are all inherently bad. Well, I, if I wanted to hear that, I could have just stayed home today. No, we are all inherently bad. We all deserve death and hell. But God loves us too much not to give us a chance. We do not have to perish for eternity because of what Jesus did for us. And here we are celebrating Memorial Day. And on Memorial Day, we, we remember those who died in service to our country to purchase and maintain our freedoms. That's what Memorial Day is all about. But just as important today, we remember who took our place on the cross so that we could be free from sin and eternal death. And that's Jesus Christ. <clears throat> Amen. We're thankful for our freedom today. So let's read together. If you would, let's stand for just a moment. and Let's read John chapter 3. We know that we are not inherently good. We might have come into this place thinking that, but according to the word of God, we have found out for sure there's none good. Not one. We can't, no, nobody here can claim, I'm good. No, you're not. If you think you are, the Bible says you're deceiving yourself. Amen. Don't be deceived, right? Nobody's good. We're all sinners and the only way we're saved is by the grace of God. And there's gravity in that statement. Are you ready? John 3, 16. Probably the most popular verse in the entire Bible. You see it at the football games. You see it at basketball games. They'll hold it up even at a high school uh, function. You know, John 3, 16. So what does this really mean? Let's read it. For God so loved the world... That he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. Keep reading. For God sent not his son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. He that believeth on him is not condemned, but he that believeth not is condemned already, because he hath not believed 
in the name of the only begotten Son of God. And this is the condemnation, that light is come into the world, and men love darkness rather than light, because their deeds were evil. For everyone that doeth evil hateth the light, neither cometh to the light, lest his deeds should be reproved. But he that doeth truth cometh to the light, that his deeds may be made manifest, that they are wrought in God. Amen. Jesus, speak to us for the next few moments, God, and help us to realize the gravity of your love and how it keeps pulling us back. And God, we give you glory and praise for what you're doing in this place, in Jesus' name. And everybody said amen. Amen. God bless you. You may be seated. We see from this scripture, we see from our reading today that God did his part. Everybody say that God did his part. He did what you couldn't do, even if you wanted to. You couldn't have made things right. You couldn't have shed perfect blood. You couldn't. There's no way. Even if you would have offered yourself a sacrifice, it wouldn't have been enough. Can, can, can you understand what I'm saying. It, it had to be a perfect sacrifice. It had to be a sinless sacrifice and not one of us could claim that. So God became a man and he gave himself as a sacrifice for our sins. So God did his part and our part is to choose to believe in him and his sacrifice for us. That's our part. God did his part and he's saying, why don't you do your part? You got to believe in him. You've got to trust in him. Amen. You've got to put all your hope in him. Why? Because he loves you and because he first loved us. Amen. He gave his life for us. He gave everything that he could give. God did his part. Now we've got to do our part. Romans 5 and verse 8 in the NASB says, But God demonstrates his own love toward us and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Amen. When you were at your very worst point. Amen. The, the, the very lowest that you could be when you were the most despicable. The most deplorable. The most ugly and hateful and sinful and nasty. While we were yet sinners. Well, you know, sin is sin, Pastor. I get it. I get it. But, but if... You really read this verse in the context. It means in the lowest of your state. The very lowest you could go. When you were yet a sinner, he died for you. Now, that may not sink in. So let me see if I can explain it a little bit. True sacrificial love is put into action without any guarantee that the love will be acknowledged or returned. That's true sacrificial love. You don't have any promise that it's coming back. You just, you just love. You just give that love. So true love has more to do with the giver and the giver's decision than it does with the recipient and the recipient's worth. Is it starting to dawn on you now? That while we were yet sinners, <laughs> I didn't deserve it. I couldn't have earned it. There's nothing that I could have done or said. There's nothing that I could have offered that would have gotten me out of the mess that I was in. While I was yet a sinner, God did his part. Amen. And so as we, 
as we think about gravity and you say, Pastor, I'm not following how this relates to gravity. Hold on, we're going to get there, okay? Have you ever thought about how terrifying space is? Anybody ever thought about that? Maybe you've watched a movie or you've seen something and, and they depicted how scary space can be, right? And you see people, you know, they, they, they get out and away from a spaceship or something and you think you just think for just a moment maybe you're like what would that be like that would be so horrible just to be right drifting aimlessly the darkness the cold the silence and the vacuum we can only experience it through uh, uh, the glass of a climate controlled space helmet because it's too deadly for us it lacks essentials such as water and warmth and air while we can biologically survive without other people, real life cannot be survived in isolation. C.S. Lewis, and, and C.S. Lewis, how many of you have ever read anything by C.S. Lewis? It's really deep, okay? So just buckle, buckle your seatbelt, because C.S. Lewis, he wrote the, the, uh, a lot of the stuff that you, the Chronicles of Narnia and all that, that's, that's C.S. Lewis. So if you're wondering, some of you are like, I don't even know what that is, but that's okay. C.S. Lewis was a writer. He wrote some really deep stuff. And, and he wrote in The Problem of Pain, this is what he wrote. In the long run, the answer to all those who object to the doctrine of hell is itself a question. What are you asking God to do? To wipe out their past sins? And at all costs to give them a fresh start? Smoothing every difficulty and offering every miraculous help? But he has done so on Calvary. To forgive them without Calvary, they will not be forgiven. To leave them alone, alas, I am afraid that is what he does. So many people in our culture just want God to leave them alone. They'll even tell you that. I wish God would just leave me alone. You ever heard somebody say that? You know, would you, would you like to come to church? I wish you would just leave me alone. Would you like to come and pray with me? No, I, I want you to leave me alone. Would you come for Easter? No, leave me alone. Would you come for Christmas? No, leave me alone. You anybody know what I'm talking about? And you're like, I'm going to pray for you. No, please don't pray for me because, you know, I don't even believe in that. But I'm going to pray and I'm going to ask God to touch your heart. I don't even believe in God. It's okay. It's okay. Our culture and our society is screaming for God to leave them alone. And in his mercy, he keeps reaching to them. Because being away from God is the very essence of what hell, the Bible calls hell, outer darkness. Sounds like space, doesn't it? That's what hell will be like. Eternity away from God. Now, I know there's going to be a lake that burns with fire and, and brimstone, and, and you're going to be eternally tormented. I, I get that, and I'm not trying to discount that in any way, shape, or form, and I don't want to diminish what the fire of hell is going to be like, okay? So please understand, we could turn the air off, and we could make it hot in here today, and I could really start preaching about hell and get you worked up. I, I'm just trying to help you understand that's not the worst part of hell. The worst part of hell is knowing that you will never, ever be able to be in relationship with God again. You'll never, ever be able to feel his presence and his power and his love in your life. That is the essence of what hell is going to be like. Well, pastor, what are you saying? I'm saying that with Jesus Christ, salvation is much more than escaping punishment and attaining bliss. 
It's the restoration of what it means to truly be human. You see, the restoration is relational. We are brought into right relations with each other, with creation, and more importantly, with God. So this is our mission, to let people know that they do not have to feel uh, like they're cut off, floating in the darkness without hope. Because the gravity of God's love is there to pull them into the light. And into the life that only a relationship with Jesus Christ can give them. That's what the gravity of God's love does. It pulls us closer to Jesus and helps us to shine and be a light in the darkness. It's his love. God so loved the world. He so loved. The gravity of his love is the only thing that pulls us in. If it wasn't for the gravity of God's love, none of us could be saved. If gravity were to disappear, and we talked about this, everything would be floating. There would be stuff that would just dissipate because it could not withstand the elements. And so we understand that gravity is important and gravity has to be in our lives in order for things to make any sense because last week we talked about it. Without gravity is chaos. But let me tell you where that gravity comes from. Gravity comes from God. Amen. That love of God that keeps pulling us back, that keeps bringing us back to him. Amen. Some of you wonder why things are so out of control in your life. God's love keeps pulling you back. Amen. The gravity of his love, you, you keep trying to get away. Amen. You keep trying to float off there. I don't need God. I think I'm good. And then all of a sudden something happens and you get jarred and you're like, I need God. And you start coming back to him. You know, what I'm, anybody know what I'm talking about? When you realize you're isolated and alone and you, you're out there all by yourself, you're like, man, I, I need God. What was I thinking? And it's his love that's pulling you back. It's, it's the people in your life that are, are displaying the love of God and God is shining through them. I, I read this poem and, and some of you might, you might even kind of question where I get some of this stuff. I, I, I find stuff all over the place. And sometimes I'm thinking, you know, that would really be good in a message. And I don't use it for weeks, months, sometimes even years. But I have this digital filing system, for those of you that don't know, I use Evernote. Uh, and, and so what I can do is I put stuff into Evernote and it helps me, it brings stuff back up. But I read this a long time ago and I came across it again this week and it was perfect. And so I, I wanted to share this. It's a poem. It's called The Satellite. It's by Anthony DeMello. And uh, it's, it's a little different, so just stay with me. But this is what he writes. He says, I look at nature and reflect on the existence uh, on the existence in it of a farce so silent and invisible that human beings were not aware of it till lately. And yet so mighty that the world is moved by it, the force of gravity. Because of it, the bird flies in the air. Mountains are held in place. Leaves flutter to the ground. Planets are kept in orbit. There's no better symbol of God's power and presence. Scenes of suffering flash through my mind. Torture chambers, concentration camps, the ravages of famine, scenes of war, of hospitals, and of accidents. And I see him there as silent and invisible as gravity. I conjure up a thousand painful scenes from the history of my life of boredom and frustration, of pain, anxiety, rejection, of meaninglessness and despair. And in every scene, I sense his silent presence. I see his power like gravity in every nook and corner of the world, 
No place in space. No point in time. Escapes, for it is all pervasive. Then I see his love to be like gravity. I hear Paul's cry that nothing in creation can wrench us from God's love. Romans 8, 31 through 39. I remember with emotion the times I fought his love in vain, for love is irresistible. I see that God has never ceased to draw my heart. The pool, like gravity, could not be felt. But at some blessed moments that I now recall with joy, the tug could not be missed. And then he asked, when was the last pull felt? Not yesterday? Why not? I end by letting go, succumbing to this power of divinity as my body does to gravity. Pretty powerful. In the poem, DeMello asks, when was the pull last felt? When was the pull? When, when was the pull of God's love last felt in your life? God's love is like gravity in our lives. And the question for us to ponder today is, do you even sense it? Do you sense the pull of God's love in your life? In Acts chapter 2, they felt the pull of God's love. They were, oh my goodness, Peter was preaching, Acts chapter 2, explaining to them they had crucified the Lord and Savior and God's love was working on them and convicting them. And they ask a simple question, men and brethren, what shall we do? Peter's response to them is still the necessary response for anybody who wants to respond to God's love and allow its gravity to pull them where they need to be. Peter said, repent. The first thing Peter said was repent. You feel God's love? You feel that conviction? You feel that, that drawing of your, your spirit to his? You feel that? The first thing we do is repent. Repentance acknowledges that I don't know what's best for me. And that's hard for a lot of us. That's why some of us won't repent. We won't come to the altar. We won't lift a hand because we think we know what's best. Goes back to our initial problem. We're inherently bad and pride lifts us up. And that's why we ignore the love of God. We fight gravity. Amen. We try to put on some anti-gravity boots and anti-gravity clothes. and We try to ignore, but, but Peter says repent. The very first thing that needs to happen is repentance. Well, what do I need to do, Pastor? You need to acknowledge, I don't know what's best for me. I don't have all the answers. God, I've broken your laws. I've done things that I shouldn't have done. I've said things I shouldn't have said. I've been places I shouldn't have been. My hands have done evil things. My feet have taken me evil places. I've thought evil things in my mind. I acknowledge, God, that I have sinned. And I'm, I'm determined I'm going to stop sinning now. The second thing Peter said was, Be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins. What happens when you are baptized in the name of Jesus Christ? You are saying, I am acknowledging that Jesus' blood is the one that covers me and washes away my sin. When you take on the name of Jesus in baptism, the scripture says it's like being buried with him. 
You're going through the death of repentance. You're going through the burial of baptism. And his, that blood that he shed on Calvary washes away our sins for the remission, the washing away of our sins. And then he says, ye shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. I want you to look at your neighbor, and especially if they don't have the Holy Ghost yet, I want them to tell, I want you to say it like, like I would say it. I want you to tell them, say, you will receive the Holy Ghost. Come on, look at your neighbor, tell them, say, you will receive the Holy Ghost. Are you live, Denise? Are you live? You will receive the Holy Ghost. Amen. The Bible promises it. Repent of your sins. Be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. And you shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. Come on, somebody. That's the love of God. When you feel that tug and you feel that conviction, that's how you respond. Repent and be baptized and be filled with the gift of the Holy Ghost. Amen. And as I close today, for those of you who have not done so already, that's where you start. Amen. How many of you, you do not have the Holy Ghost, but you want the Holy Ghost? You don't have to stand, but would you just lift a finger up? Just, you, you don't have it yet, but you want it. Just lift up a finger. Come on, lift up a finger. You don't have the Holy Ghost yet, but you want it. All right, I'm, I'm counting, I'm counting. Just lift up a finger. Oh, yeah, lift up a whole hand. That's all right. Go ahead. I see four. Anybody else? Come on, nobody looking around. It's just if you need it, you need the Holy Ghost, you want it, you believe God's going, just lift up a little finger just, just where I can see it. No shame in your game. All right. Five. There we go. Amen. That's where you start. Right here. This is where you start. Repentance. Be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. You will receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. It's a promise. In fact, the next verse goes on to say, The promise is unto you and to your children and to all that are afar off, even as many as the Lord our God shall call. Amen. Amen. You are going to receive the Holy Ghost. I'm going to tell you some of this. Some of you guys, if you don't receive the Holy Ghost before next Sunday is over with, I'll be really surprised. Five of you lifted up a finger. I believe that God, between today and next Sunday, all five of you are going to be filled with the Holy Ghost. Amen. Come on, somebody. It's a promise. It's for you. It's not on you. God's going to do it. God's going to fill you with His Spirit. Hallelujah. It's going to be the best thing you've ever experienced in your life. Why don't you stand with me? For those of you that you have received the Holy Ghost, you have been baptized in Jesus' name, but maybe you've drifted away from God's love. And you see His love in the circumstances of your life. You know that He specifically came and died for you. You realize, I'm going through some of the things I'm going through because God loves me. Now, the devil wants to tell you, if God really loved you, why would you be going through that? Do you know that God allows things in your life so that you'll come back to Him? So that you'll trust Him? If everything was easy and everything was good, you wouldn't think that you ever needed God. That's why God allows things to not always go so good. So you'll be like, okay, God, I need you. I recognize I am only human. So if you've drifted away from God for whatever reason today, let me encourage you, come back to Him. 
Allow the gravity of his love and your gratefulness to him to pull you back into right relationship with him today. Do you know how you'll know when you're in right relationship with God? Do you know? I, I mean, I don't even have this in my notes, but this is what God is... I, I just feel like I need to share this. This is how you'll know that you're in right relationship with God. The Bible says, if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship one with another. And the blood of Jesus Christ cleanses us from all sin. So what happens when you are in right relationship is you are in right relationship with God and you don't mind being at the church. You don't mind hanging out with the people of God. Because you can get along with everybody whenever you're in right relationship with God. Now if you're not in right relationship, boy, some people just get under your skin. Right? And you got to pray about it. And you got to ask God, God, help me with something. Man, I'm telling you, Zechariah, he was driving me crazy. Not really, but... The point that I'm trying to make is, you'll know you're in right relationship when it's easy for you to be around the people of God. When it's a struggle, and you're like, oh, I have to be around those people again. Anybody know what I'm talking about? I don't want to go there that they look at me funny. No, you know what? That's a devil working on you. We're all a bunch of sinners around here. There's nobody perfect in this place. Everyone here is saved by grace, and it's not because of anything that we've done. It's because of the gravity of God's love. So today, if you're drifting, if you're out there all on your own and you feel isolated, you, you know what? That's, what? that's what the devil wants. That's how he picks you off. As he gets you feeling like, Nobody cares. Nobody likes me. You start singing that old song. Nobody likes me. Everybody hates me. I think I'll eat some worms. You know what I'm talking about? Nasty, right? But that's how you feel. You start having this pity party. You start feeling sorry for yourself. You feel like you're isolated out in outer space. Nobody even knows. Nobody even cares. Nobody can feel where you're at. God knows where you're at. God knows where you're at. Amen. He sent me to remind you today that he loves you. He loves you more than you could even imagine. And if you'll allow the gravity of God's love, it will pull you back into a right mind. It will pull you back into right relationships. And it'll pull you into the place that you can have a good relationship with Jesus Christ, the one who loves you enough to die for you. Amen. With every head bowed and every eye closed, I open up this altar as I pray. Lord Jesus, in this place, in this house, there are those who need to come back to you. There are those who need to turn their lives over to you for the first time. They need to repent of their sins. God, some have been so proud they, they couldn't even repent. They thought everything is, is somebody else's problem. But you've revealed to them, God, through your word. And you've revealed to them through conviction and by your spirit, Lord, that they are at fault and they are wrong. Now, God, I pray that you give them the courage to own up to it, to repent, Lord, and to make things right with you and allow the gravity of your love to pull them in. For those who need to be baptized, that they would make that decision to be baptized in those God who have and they want to receive your spirit that you would fill them God with the gift of the Holy Ghost today and God we thank you for what you're going to do in the next little uh, the, the next few moments here in this place God as we surrender and submit ourselves to you whether we've been saved for years or we've never been filled with your spirit that we would surrender to you right now in this place in Jesus name 
this altar's open. I wonder if you just step out. If you want the Holy Ghost, step out. Amen. If you need to get things right with God. Amen. You're not even, I don't even know. I'm not even sure about all this. Why don't, don't you feel that pull though? Don't you feel God pulling you closer to him? Amen. Some of you are resisting it. Don't resist. Come on. That's it. That's it. That's it. Don't resist. Just step out right now and walk down to this altar and say, God, I surrender. Lord, I'm not going to hold anything back. Come on now. Some of you are holding on to the backs of your chairs and you're, you got your knuckles all white. It's called white knuckle conviction. That's what I call it. White knuckle conviction. Let go of that chair. Walk out of your seat and come on down right now. Amen. Lift up your hands in the air and say, God, I surrender to you. God, I give you all of me today. I'm not holding anything back. Hallelujah. Look around. There's people that want you to pray with them today. There's people that have hands lifted and they're asking God. They're surrendering to him. They're asking him right now to fill them with his spirit. Why don't you pray with somebody right now that's close to you? Amen. Ask God to move in their life. Let the power of the Holy Ghost work in this place. Let the power of the Holy Ghost. Amen. And the love of God touch your heart right now. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Jealous for 